0: Social distancing doesn't mean social isolation. Reach out to your friends and family with free quarantine e-cards from JewishBoston.com. Say hi, spread positivity, and share a healing prayer. Choose from six original designs to send love and good wishes during the COVID-19 pandemic. Visit JewishBoston.com cards and send a card today. Hello and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzevin, and I'm joined on this episode by the whole Jewish Boston pod squad, Dan Seligson, Kali Foxman, and Ashley Jacobs. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. So today we are gathered here to talk about season three of the hit Netflix series, Fauda, which we all binged during quarantine. If any time is a good time to binge a show, it's now. And if you like your TV incredibly stressful to take your mind off the quarantine, this is the show to watch. After the ISIS-related horrors of Season 2, which we discussed way back in Episode 60 of The Vibe of the Tribe, our hero, anti-hero, Darone begins the season once again undercover in the West Bank. This time, he's posing as the coach of a young Palestinian boxer named Bashar Hamdan. Bashar has dreams of making it big, but unfortunately, he's the son of Jihad Hamdan. Jihad was a notorious terrorist, now a middle-aged man in a Mr. Rogers cardigan, just released from Israeli prison. Bashar is Daron's in to the extended Hamdan family as he tries to locate Bashar's terrorist cousin Fauzi. More than in previous seasons, the show examines the seemingly inescapable cyclical nature of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict through the mentor-mentee-friend-enemy dynamic of Daron and Bashar's relationship. The young Palestinian-Israeli actor who plays Bashar, al gets side-by-side billing with star Lior Raz, who plays Daron, which I think speaks to the focus Fauda puts on Bashar's arc throughout this season. The show also brings back Daron's team from previous seasons and introduces a new romantic interest for Daron. We also experience a new setting this year as the team ventures into Gaza on a dangerous mission. For those out there who haven't watched this season, beware. This episode of The Vibe of the Tribe contains a lot of spoilers. Okay, so let's get into it. Team, what were your initial takes on Season 3? Ashley, let's start with you.
1: I absolutely loved it. This was my first time watching FAUDA. I binged all three seasons in like two weeks. (laughs) And this was without a doubt the most intense and suspenseful season so far. It was jam-packed with action. Actors actually got injured on set because of how intense the fighting was. The season premiere really felt like an episode right before a season finale. Like all the suspense just building up. Captain Ayoub and Abu Mer, the head of Palestinian preventative security, were shot at the very end of the premiere, I was like, wait, what? Holy shit, this season is going to be amazing. And it was. And this was probably the first time that I really understood the gravity of the Israel-Palestinian conflict. Not that I didn't know and understand it before, but I feel like it was just very visceral watching it. I'm not sure how to best describe it. The power it was shot, the emotion. I just I couldn't sleep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This was one of the most intense seasons and they're all intense, but this one was like next level intense. Dan, what were your thoughts?
2: I'm totally on board with everything that Ashley said and Ashley Mazel tov on being healthy enough to watch all three seasons in that shorter period of time. Thank you. This show can be a challenge on the heart. And really, I considered asking my doctor whether I was fit enough to watch it, but I couldn't get a telehealth appointment. So if, if seasons one and two kind of you know, kept you up at night, Season three is like two months of insomnia. The setting, the action, the production values all took a major leap over the previous two seasons. I thought that the story arc was incredibly poignant and compelling. And I think the one thing that they really did to up their game was that they recreated Gaza. Obviously, you can't film in Gaza. And what they did to show Gaza was just such a technical and staging feet, I was completely buying what they were selling. So in short, about a season three, absolutely spectacular, cannot recommend it enough.
0: I know someone who was not quite buying what they were selling is Kali.
3: Well, I do find the show compelling, and I found the season to be really suspenseful. But I think as the first few episodes progressed, I had this sort of feeling of fouda Fatigue, where it was a new season, same plot, sort of whack-a-mole terrorist, like who's up next. So for me, it felt not necessarily tired because it's a different setting and a new situation, but I wonder how much more this show can actually take if they actually do a season four, because it seems so similar each time. Like, I do find it suspenseful and thrilling to watch. Like you're still on the edge of your seat, but at a certain point I was like, okay, like what else can happen? Like they sort of have covered all the bases here and it's sort of Derone in different, but similar situations in every season. And so for me, that felt a little tiring. And I feel like you have to suspend your beliefs in certain Uh, circumstances. If you take it for what it is, I think it's really good. And and you can't think too hard about it is uh, sort of my theory, because one example is like, how is the same team like infiltrating the same areas over and over? And like, nobody is uh, sort of printing a poster that's like, here's what all these people look like. It's just sort of, they, they keep being able to get away with <laughs> the same things each season. And you're like, how is this possible? So I enjoy it. Uh, I just don't know how much more of it I can actually take.
0: I think that's a good point. I also think perhaps it intentionally or unintentionally mirrors the exhaustion that people actually in this conflict feel because it does, it is the cycle that no one can escape. And maybe that's, in a in a way, an accurate Representation that everyone mm. is tired and yeah, it keeps going on. So, in a way, maybe that's a tad realistic, but I definitely mm-hmm. hear what you're saying. For me, I thought this season was particularly powerful because it integrated the real recent history of the Israeli Gaza conflict in a way that rooted the narrative. This season directly references the story of Gilad Shalit. It talks about prisoner swaps. It talks about the tunnels from Gaza into Israel. It talks about the pullout from Gaza. The plot involving the abduction of two Israeli teens is very powerful and reminiscent of the real-life abduction and and murder of Naftali Gilad and Iyal, who were the three boys who were abducted and killed in the lead-up to the 2014 Gaza War. So it's all very painful for viewers who are familiar with those particular events, but also perhaps educational for viewers who are not familiar with those, those real-life events. So that up the ante for me this season. I was like, oh my God, I'm getting flashbacks. So that was one of the themes that we saw real life pulling from the headlines in this. So let's touch on some other themes we saw this season. We've got the universality of loss on both sides, making mistakes, the heartbreaking nature of the conflict for everyone, and the cycle perpetuated in this region. What are your thoughts um, on these themes? Dan, let's hear from you first.
2: I would say that one thing that Fauda does really well is it portrays both sides of the conflict without being particularly judgy. I think it just shows you the reality on the ground and you either take it for what it is or you don't. And I think a testament to the success of the show is that it's watched widely in the Arab world and it's watched by Palestinians. I think season three gave a deep dive into Palestinian consciousness, deeper than we've seen before. It kind of, for me, showed this hopelessness that this is a cyclical conflict that it's passed on almost in the DNA from generation to generation. Many battles are fought, some are won, some are lost, but this war is essentially endless. You see one leader fall, another one rise in their place, and you're confident that no matter what happens, there's always going to be this guy that is going to be leading some kind of terrorist activity against Israel, and there's always going to be people like the Fauda team going after them. Uh, And then another important theme I, I think that we haven't talked about yet is karma. Um, mm-hmm. One of the characters who is a sniper um, accidentally shoots one of his own guys, and throughout the season, we know that his fate is
3: chasing him, as does he. Yeah, Kali, what about you? So, yeah, I think Dan touched on this. I, I really think that it's depressing. Like, I just don't have a better word. Almost like it's this cyclical nature of this conflict, the violence perpetuated every single day. It's really, really sad, and it's. I mean it's showing the reality of this situation and it feels hopeless and it feels depressing and it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight so I feel like th- there there's not as much hope and I I particularly felt that with this season 2 that it just sort of it ends and you're like okay now what like it, it it does feel hopeless um like this will go on and on and on and and what what is the end
0: mm. Ashley, what was your take?
3: I mean, I I think
1: that Kali hit it on the head. Like, there's really no escape from this. We start with Jihad Bashar getting out of prison. He wants to have his life back on track. He doesn't want to be involved with Hamas at all. He rejects money when people bring it to him at his welcome home party. He doesn't want anything to do with Hamas. And then his son Bashar just kickstarts this entire crazy like conflict within the episode. And Bashar just wants to go to Amman to box. He doesn't want any part of this. And he's very reluctant to do it. He doubts himself all the time, and his father gets roped into helping him. And they both didn't want anything to do with it. So I think revenge, the powerful nature of revenge, too, really plays a role. Season after season, it's people avenging their father... It's people trying to get even. And we also see that too on the IDF side with the character of Hila, the head of the Gaza desk. And I know we'll talk about female characters. (laughs) Yeah, I know we'll speak about female (laughs) characters later in the episode.
0: Yeah, it's hard for me to think about it this way, but we do have to remember that this is indeed a show that focuses on the dramatic parts and the real like, exciting, I guess we'd say. We're not being shown a whole picture here. And I do want to emphasize that it is a show, it is a drama, it is exaggerated somewhat for the dramatic effect. And this show would probably never go into discussing the amazing efforts on both sides of just people, Palestinians and Israelis, who are trying to bridge this conflict. This show is not about that. So I just want to remind the listeners that not to take Fauda as a verbatim history of what's going on. It contains elements of reality, absolutely, but it's not the full picture. And I think it's fair to mention that because we do see a lot of reality, but we also also should keep in mind that it's important to do our learn our backstory and learn the actual history and not just take from this that this is the be-all end all of what the conflict is, or this is this is the be-all end-all of Israeli and Palestinian life.
3: And I just want to add one thing to that too, Miriam. I, I found it interesting in this season that I in more so than in others, I think that the Israeli characters were sort of acknowledging in a way that they believed in some cases that they have created this uh, this Con- not not the conflict but these certain circumstances like i know we'll get to get into daron in a moment but he he was sort of the catalyst for bashar taking this this turn into violence and at several points some of these israeli characters have acknowledged like we did this to them yeah um which and it's a very complicated nuanced cycle but i just thought that was interesting
0: yeah very much so and bashar's arc he goes from hopeful athlete. This kid, he's a boxer. He's very, he has a great relationship with his coach, who is secretly Darone. They actually really do care about each other. And he's, we track his trajectory from hopeful athlete to terrorist icon, who ultimately does follow in the footsteps of his father as a way to, to use this as a metaphor for the way the cycle. Um, feels inevitable and does pull in people who don't want to be involved in this, but it they just get pulled into the conflict. So let's let's talk about Daron and his role in all of this. He is our anti-hero. We do know that it's his fault in a lot of ways. He's there on a mission, but part of that mission means that he uproots Bashar's life. So, before we talk about that, we should mention that we met Lior Ross, who plays Doron, last year. He was amazing. He was funny. Uh, he was super nice. He and Dan bonded over being bald.
2: He is. Um... I dress like him now. I, I also dress <laughs> exactly. like him now for formal and
0: events. Takes- fashion tips from him now. And Lior is the co-creator and co-writer of Fauda. And in many ways, he has pulled from his real life experiences. He actually did serve in an undercover unit, which I find really, really fascinating how he's gone through his life and selected stuff that really make for an amazing television show. So what is going on with Jerome this season? He went through a horrible season two. He lost his father. He lost his love interest (laughs) where is he now let's talk about like what's going on with him collie
3: All I could think at the beginning was like, remember when Darone was like running that vineyard, like with his wife, like like poor Darone, like he was trying to be retired and he can't. And and he sort of says this at the end, like, this is who I am. Like, I can't just step aside. I can't really retire. So and you think about it, it's just months after this very traumatic experience in season two that he's undercover again. He's at it again and so you think oh man can this guy ever catch a break like he he needs some therapy he needs some time oh, off yeah. and and so it's really it's sad to see sort of the fact that he ugh, loses his family yet again in this other, in this new way. And and it's like, no wonder Ido is traumatized because he was almost murdered last season. So he's probably afraid of his father and his work, but Daron is driven by this unit and this work. And I feel like in some ways, like this unit is more of his family than his actual family mm-hmm. because he is basically risking his home life to continue with this work that he does so he's very driven by this so I think it's interesting to see like what motivates him like he he can't be still like he's in on this action and and this is who he is
0: yeah Dan what do you think
2: I thought uh, he had a really interesting character development arc this season we see him mentoring Bashar who and and we can tell in the scenes with the two of them, that while, you know, this is a relationship that's based on dishonesty, um, own really likes him and actually wants him to succeed. At the same time, we see that while he's mentoring a young man, his relationship with his immediate family has gone to shit. His own son won't speak to him. He has a big blow up at, when the social worker is there with the family. So we can just see that that his own family is falling apart. He's kind of, I think, become very much involved with this undercover job that he's doing, and and we've seen this theme in a lot of movies and TV shows where someone who's undercover begins to really take on that character as Mm -hmm. themselves. So Daron has now, again, become not just a part of a mission, he's become the center of it, and as usual, Daron is way too close to the mission. It seems like maybe in Israeli society you can't recuse yourself because of personal involvement with a conflict or with something else like that. It's like, you have to, you have to do it because it's a part of you, because it's something that you're immediately involved with. The only part of Darone's character development arc that I thought was kind of a lame throwaway was his relationship. And I think we'll talk about that later, but yeah, he just has some kind of, they always need to have him in a romance. I'm not sure. I think Leo Ross likes to write that in so he can have some have some scenes and it, it was just I I thought it was totally useless. The only part of of season three that I thought wasn't worth my time was watching Daron and he loves, right? You can't
0: stand her. That relationship
2: was not, that that wasn't worth my time.
0: How much I can't stand her. Ashley, what was your view on Daron's whole thing this season?
1: It was heartbreaking for me. Daron has no place to land. There's nothing physical to ground him. He's strained with his son He's sleeping at headquarters, and in a lot of moments in the show, he is just seconds too late to save mm. people. We see that with Elad. We see the heartbreaking heartbreaking season finale. He puts a lot of blame on himself for what happened with Avichai. The only good thing I think that happened to him was that he saved Gabby right in the nick of time so thank god i I know so it's it's (laughs) he has these on the whole just awful awful moments but there are also i'm i'm optimistic for him i think that because he's so invested and because he like dan said is the job i think that that only drives him to work harder and fight harder and yes he does break protocol like that's that's been known from like the all the time yeah, like it it's been known from the get-go that he does that, but I think it just makes him a better a better soldier mm.
3: but I also think that's one of those areas where you have to sort of suspend logical thinking a little bit because, like, in what kind of military situation do you just let someone, like, just call the shots themselves, go rogue, do whatever they want? You're like, we're sort of missing, I feel like, the upper echelons of, like, the military and who's calling the shots. Like, I don't know fully how realistic that is, but I have a sense that, like, like season after season, this guy can just sort of <laughs> do whatever he wants. And he's literally getting people killed, but yeah. Yeah, has not been fired.
1: I, I, I just... Yeah. I mean, I just think it speaks to his strength and his because, yes, I, I agree. I just I feel like him doing that paints him as he he wants to be a hero, but he ends up having he ends up being the opposite. I just think it's a very interesting character trait for him that, yeah, to be fair, it does get him in a lot of trouble. But it's also mm-hmm. what redeems him, I think, to himself.
0: And that's also, I think, what we as the viewers want to see. We don't want to mm-hmm. see Darone obey orders. No, we want not. There's no show. <laughs> go off and do some crazy things. Yeah. So, Kali, you you mentioned this, but at the core of the show is really the elite IDF unit charged with taking these secret missions on behalf of Israel. They're such a tight knit knit group, a family in their own right. How do we view their relationships this season? How have they all evolved since we first met them? And again, the the team is not quite the team that we met in season 1 some of them are no longer with us rip boaz i love you so what's what's changed for them as as a family as a team ashley
1: this season really broke my heart <laughs> i do not get emotional when watching shows but the the relationship between all of the characters everyone in the unit this was the episode that showed their strongest bonds they were more open with each other. Ellie was saying, we're going into Gaza. He made it a point to emphasize that you do not say you're going to Gaza. It's we're going to Gaza. We see Sagi mm. and Nari finally getting together, whether it's, <laughs> whether that's because he's, he's had a puppy dog crush on her since they first met. And then, of course, the whole thing with Avi High is just like mm. the worst heartbreaking heartbreaking moment of the entire entire show i you you really their relationships in that group really made the relationship in like relationships in the military real for me because you're fighting and dying alongside people who are closer than family to you mm-hmm. and i think that in this season it was more real it was it was felt more real it felt more visceral
0: I was just thinking of the way in which they they bring in their actual families from time to time in a way that supplements this this group. So when Abi Chai does uh, die in Gaza, I think Gabi brings Daron's wife to talk to Avichai's wife. And I don't know if that's like legitimately how they do that. Like, would they bring in a civilian to break that news? But I thought it was interesting because no matter the the issues that she and Darone are having, she knows this core unit is so vital and important. And, and the feeling is sort of universal. So I thought that was very interesting. Dan, what was your thoughts about how the way this this unit has changed over the past few um,
2: yeah. So I think the, the unit continues to be an HR department's worst nightmare. Oh, yes, so uh, there's all kinds of hanky panky going on. The guys are mm-hmm. broing each other all the time. A woman walks into the room. They're all like, check that out. <laughs> I, I think that one of Fauda's shortcomings, and I think we'll be talking about this a little bit later, is that it does an excellent job developing men in their own right. But mm-hmm. when it comes to female characters, they are only presented in context to the men who they're sleeping with. And Unless it is a Palestinian woman, in which case it's a whole different situation. But I, I'm, I continue to be disappointed in the way in which they developed Noreet. I felt nothing for Hila. The the wives of the characters were just such bit bit parts. Yeah. They're like, I'm worried that you're going into Gaza. Okay, great. Like that, of course you are. <laughs> but I mean, what else do you got for me? So that aside, I think the male characters had interesting developments in their, in their arc. I thought. Gabby was pretty interesting this season. He he went through a lot. I don't want to get into all of it. I hope that people watch it and see, but but he was a a lot more central this season than he has been in the past, even though it's he never he's is great. part of the Yeah, he's he's, he's a an so character <laughs> and while he he's never in the arena, he gets kind of pulled into it this time, which which was a really kind of interesting way to, to take him as a character.
0: Yeah. Kali what were your
3: thoughts? I really like watching the relationships of these brothers, I will call them, because they really are brothers in this sense. And I think it's so central to the show and it's something that makes it watchable for me. And I think that I still come back to PTSD and how that factors into their unit and the work that they do and how sort of central that is to who they are because they've all seen so much trauma, and what I like is when they open up to each other. Like I love two men like talking about how they feel. For some reason, I'm like, yes, like let's have more of that. And so I feel like they were a little more open this season with their emotions. I feel like Daron opened up a little bit about his guilt and who he is, and so I feel like they they all really had each other's backs. But I liked seeing. development of these emotional bonds and relationships that they have and they really do turn to each other as family in in the worst of times
0: yeah so this season featured plot lines set in both the west bank and gaza what are the differences and similarities that you noticed in the locations in terms of what we learn about Palestinian life in these areas and how the team operates or infiltrates these areas? Because it's very different. So I'm thinking about how we see a huge Hamas funeral in Gaza attended by thousands of people, guns firing in the air in this like really scary militaristic display. And we would never see anything like that in the West Bank scenes because Gaza is entirely ruled by Hamas and the West Bank isn't. So that's just one like huge difference in what we've seen as viewers. What did you guys pick up about these different locations and the way the story changes? Ashley.
1: So for me, the something that I noticed, obviously, was the power goes off at Mm. random times. And Daron is very confused by this. And it's also, for me, how the soldiers navigated both spaces was very different. They walk around the West Bank like they live there, like they own it. But in Gaza, they're very careful. They're very cautious. They have to stay undetected. Ellie has a, a very horrible PTSD episode in an open market, mm-hmm. whereas they're outside all the time on the West Bank. But in Gaza, in public, Ellie really has a moment and has to be accompanied out of there so i think that it just really speaks to like the collective experience Mm. i think
0: yeah Kali, what did you think
2: Mm.
3: yeah and just just on that moment of ellie having a panic attack basically the irony of this palestinian woman being like are you okay do you need any help that was an interesting moment. Yeah, I actually listened to three of the actors talk on a webinar about what it was like to film. And so they were using Israeli Arab villages in Israel and also The IDF has a training zone that is set in some ways to mimic Gaza. They were able to use that and helicopters. And I think one of the things that um, they were trying to show in this location is just sort of the poverty of the Palestinian people and just what it sort of looks like to walk around there. So I know they're trying to really show us what this location feels like, even to the extent that they can with the limited resources they have. They were talking on this webinar about how they have a really small budget. And they filmed this whole thing in three months. And they think this would take a year in the U.S. or somewhere else like that. So they use as many real places as they can and authentic as much as they can be. And they said the people in the local villages are friendly and cooperative. But I'm sure when when you roll up with a camera crew, it's probably there's a curiosity there, I'm sure. So I found the location interesting, for sure, to have it set somewhere different.
0: Yeah, I I will say I thought they did an excellent job of showing the kind of uh, dichotomy of like there was clearly abject poverty, but also you see these families with like huge compounds. And they're like, well, I'm not leaving Gaza, but I've got this huge compound. So there was like the wealth disparity within Gazan society itself. And I also thought they did a great job of showing that you can't go anywhere from there. Like when Bashar arrives, he's on a balcony, he's looking out to the sea. He can see um, the ocean right in front of the Mediterranean Sea in front of him. And it seems like you can go anywhere from there, but you can't. You are stuck there. That is it. Once you're in Gaza, you're not going to leave Gaza is the message that he gets. And I think is important to understand for us as we watch that. And I think they conveyed that feeling feeling of being trapped there very well. Dan, what did you think?
2: I cannot say enough great things about Gaza. Sometimes you, usually when you watch a TV show or movie, the place where it is occurring, the action is occurring would be called the setting. In this case, Gaza is essentially to me like a character. It's it's another character in the show. And it made me think when I, I watched the behind the scenes documentary about how they took that army base, that It's a lot different than the West Bank. The primary difference between Gaza and the West Bank is that in Gaza, the buildings are much higher, and it's also a lot more crowded. And so what they did was they they took this very drab landscape, and they used CGI to make it so real. And that's exactly what they did in Mad Max Fury Road, where basically they took (laughs) a desert, a very dramatic desert landscape, and they added just enough that it didn't look fake, but it actually just took on this new life. And it was just sensational the way that they made Gaza have a personality it was crowded and chaotic it was absolutely menacing and every time I'm watching at the end of the show or the, at some point in the show they're deciding whether they should leave Gaza at this point I'm like get the fuck out get out you can't wait get out Gaza will beat you Gaza is going to defeat you and they they stick with it but just you feel you yeah. feel Gaza when you're watching this show and I have never been there and I imagine I will never go there and but I do believe this is as close as I'm ever going to get.
0: So I think now it's time to talk about the women in the show, both Israeli and Palestinian. This has been for me my only real issue with Fauda from season one onwards. I personally found the Israeli female characters to be portrayed as one dimensional, often irrational, just completely Hila, Hila, I guess her name is, is a monster. She's an absolute monster. Uh, Nurit is a vacillating cheater without a moral compass. Yara uh, is completely pathetic. But on the other side, the Palestinian women I found to be portrayed as really brave and strong and loyal. Um, like Bashar's sister, Haifa, is just tough as nails in the face of her family's destruction. And Abu Muhammad's daughter remains loyal to Hamas even when her father is collaborating. Do you guys, I have a feeling that you do see it this way? You're just like, what the heck is going on with the writing on these female characters? Kali, what do you think?
3: (laughs) So yes, I agree um, with most of what you said. I I wonder if there are any females in the writer's room, for one thing. Great question. Uh, Yeah, because we really don't see many of them. They're one-dimensional, as you said. There's just not a lot they have going on. The one thing that I... I don't fully agree with is Hila. I feel like how is she any worse really than Daron? She flouts authority. She makes up her own rules. So I do feel like they're similar. So I don't know that I would paint her as a monster because to me, she, and and she was trying to tell Daron this too. I do feel like it was hypocritical that he is upset with her for doing basically the same things that he does season after season. So I didn't see her as completely evil I think as the way you do and then for the Palestinian women I do feel like um they're somewhat stereotyped into this mm. th- that they're motivated only by revenge it seems like sort of season after season and this one too they do they they are portrayed as very loyal strong brave as you said but but it's this seemingly motivated only by revenge that I feel like he keeps mm. getting perpetuated here. And Narit. Yeah. She like, she sort of like, sat up out with the Narit? majority of the season, <laughs> I feel like. And then she comes back in and had sort of maybe missed this action, but yes, they, we need more females and we need yeah. uh, better written characters. I think
0: my thing with Gila is, I mean, yes, all all the characters display varying levels of, moral challenges that they're facing. And perhaps it is hypocritical of me to judge her when Daron is just like, whatever. But I would say Daron is in the field and Hila is behind a desk and like her whole personality as written is she'll do whatever it takes to bring down uh, that guy, Abu Muhammad, I think is the guy she's trying to bring down Mm -hmm. anything. And she will lie to do it. And she also has tattoos and is bossy. Like that's, that's it. She doesn't have any nuance to her character. So she's just an ambitious, hot Israeli lady, essentially. And, uh-huh. and I think that, that that's that's what bothers me about it is she has nothing beyond like Doron has layers. He uh-huh. has, I think we we find out less about her and uh-huh. she is a little bit more one dimensional. So I think that would be my one thing about her is if she was portrayed with a little bit more nuance and complexity and less rolling up of sleeves. I don't know. I think it might be different. Ashley, what did you think?
1: So when it comes to Gila, I agree with what Kali said about how Gila and Daron are are the same. And Hila even tells Daron that. I mean, yes, what Gila did was awful and shitty and uh, just rooted in revenge. But I think that there was a grain of, of truth to what she said about how they are the same in that mm. way. For her, like, my biggest kind of laughing moment was that she, when Daron calls her, uh, or when she calls Daron or something, and is like, come over. And mm-hmm. Daron's like, I have to shower. And she's like, No, don't shower, just come over. Yeah, no, and no, then,
0: no. Shower, like, shower, no, definitely shower. No, no,
1: no. <laughs> like, like, she essentially like, and then she's, he comes over and she's getting dressed and like straight from a shower, like she calls him over to have sex with him. Like that's that's yeah. what it is. Like she she goes after what she wants in that way. So I think that Whereas before any sort of romantic relationships thrown had were more passive, if you will. Hilo really just goes after what she wants. So I thought that was interesting. For me, another aspect, another character that we didn't talk about yet, who has more nuance, I think, as a female character, is Anat, who we meet in season two. She's Moreno's sister. She mm. and Steve are they ended season two not together. And then we start season three, and they're married with a baby. Um, And she, we we see that she does have postpartum depression yeah. After, yeah. after giving birth. This is the first time we see something deeper from her other than grief and anger and cute, caring girlfriends. So I think that that display was very interesting and very surprising to me. But I'm really glad that they included that. I know that postpartum depression isn't something that's often conveyed. So when Mm -hmm. she's crying and very overwhelmed and telling Steve all of this, I thought that that was a real show of bravery.
0: I agree with you. I will say, though, my one thing that took away from that, I actually thought it was good that they were displaying this. But in the final episode, Steve gets back from Gaza. The baby starts crying. She's like, no, I got it. She's like, well, you just went to Gaza. My postpartum ain't nothing compared to that. So I think I was like a little annoyed. I'm like, wait, are you telling me that it's all fixed because he's back and she recognized? I I felt it was saying, well, but do you have it that bad because you weren't in Gaza?
1: I, I hear you. I think that it was he Steve didn't want to leave. He didn't. Like he turned down the mission to Gaza. He turned it down because a knot needed him. And then when the shit hit when shit hit the fan with Avi Steve and Narit go in to rescue them. And I think that it speaks to the strength of the team's bond, but also the fact that Steve his bond with a too was very important. And I think that not taking the baby in the last scene wasn't her empathizing with Gaza I think it was her also showing that she's feeling better because I mean Steve comes home and he doesn't want to see like he's not looking for the baby he's not doing that so I thought it was I I read it differently but I can see what you're Mm. saying
0: I did think though it was very okay so recently there was an, an actual news item so Elon Musk had a baby and like a few days later he reopen the Tesla plant and he's like, if anyone gets arrested, it should be me. And I'm thinking to myself, Did taking care of a baby, was it, was it that hard that you're like, please (laughs) arrest me? So, and I was thinking, exactly. I was thinking, did Steve go to Gaza because taking care of the baby was too hard? Like, I I have also
3: But I also wonder, like, what really was the point of this plot line? Because I feel like it was not resolved and they only touched upon it. And, like, I don't actually know what the purpose was because I feel like you don't, your wife is enough reason to not want to go on a mission, whether or not Mm. she has a postpartum depression. Um, Like you can just not want to go because your family needs you. Um, So I'm not really sure like what the point of that was. Like I feel like it wasn't fully explored and we didn't see her actually get the help, which I think would be sort of the continuation of that story. So that was actually Mm -hmm. a little confusing to me.
0: I stand by my theory. Dan, what do you think?
2: I think, Kali, you hit the nail on the head that the women in this show are, are never fully developed. Mm-hmm. Their roles are never entirely clear. They're never central to the Israeli side of things. And I was surprised while you guys were talking. I went on the Internet, which knows everything. Mm-hmm. The lead writer of the show is Michal Aviram. I apologize for not saying Michal. Michal Aviram. She is a his- female Michal. She's a what? woman. That surprised me. This surprised Girl? me a lot. So it doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to write in a way that is a more accurate or, you know, sympathetic or complex portrayal of female characters. She apparently doesn't. This show is lots of not socially distant bro hugs. It's lots of male (laughs) bonding and cigarettes. Get me a beer, bro.
0: So many cigarettes. So many. Yeah,
2: I mean, women are figuratively and literally on the outside of the circle. Mm -hmm. They are always on the outside of the circle. They are openly objectified. And I I think it's a real problem with the show. And as it goes forward, there are female characters that that they could begin to develop. And it's a a question of whether, if the whole thing is like, okay, if you want to have an undercover unit in um, the West Bank or on Gaza, you can't maybe have a woman do it? Is that what they're telling us? Because Mm -hmm. the woman who they introduced, Nurit, at the end of season three was one of the most effective characters in the entire season. So I think, you know, they're they're missing something and they need to connect that dot. And, and when we when we begin to think about where we're going to go from here, if there's a season four, maybe step it up and have the women be more central to the show as opposed to just victims or people reacting to situations or something like that.
3: I just wanted to come back to Yara, though, because it seems like I mean, speaking of women, like she was in a way the driving force of part of this mission, um halfway through and I know Miriam you found her to be pathetic and I'm not sure like what else did we expect her to be doing like I feel like if I were kidnapped and held hostage I'd be crying all the time as well and like would be terrified like I I don't know that she was like 18 17 18 like she hadn't been sort of trained in the military yet so we don't know what kind of skills she has so I'm just curious like what what else we would have wanted from her. She obviously is a victim and was kidnapped. Yeah. So what else could she have done? Like her male counterpart did attempt to fight back, but are we saying that she's pathetic because she she did no, not do that as no. well? Or what did you find sort of I thought he was
0: stupid because what yeah. was he going to do? Yeah. Run out of Gaza? Like, right. come on, man. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that he did anything right. I'm saying that nothing about her character brought anything new. And maybe uh-huh. it didn't need to. She was just... The female victim who cried Mm -hmm. all the time. And that's her character. And maybe they could have done something a little bit more because part of the huge switch in Bashar's character is he starts like almost taking her under his wing and being Mm -hmm. like, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together. And she's just there being like what the hell is going on yeah. like what is wrong with you i thought there could be more nuance to their relationship mm-hmm. more finding out more about her as a person instead of just being the, this woman who gets schlepped around from point a to point mm-hmm. b just just to understand her a bit more as to mm-hmm. what she was going through other than yes it's horrible yeah. so that was just my my view not that she is there's anything wrong with her being um, upset about being kidnapped and held in Gaza, but just a bit more meat um, on the bones in terms of who she is as a person and yeah. what this means for her life. And, and when she gets back to Israel, we mm. see her once on TV. But again, we, we still don't get a sense for who she is mm-hmm. as an individual human woman. Yes. So that was kind of my thought there. I
1: think Yara had a very interesting role. You mentioned Bashar with her, and I think that Yara's purpose, I think, in the show was to help Bashar cling on to some level of humanity. We see him go from aspiring boxer to murderer at the end, and I think that the relationship was very interesting. He spends a lot of time comforting her, even when both people are together, a lot. And yet he spends a lot of time with Yara and towards the end, she's begging him, like she's calling him by name. She's like, please Bashar, please Bashar. So I think that her role as a driving force for this mission is important, but I think also in Bashar's character evolution.
0: Yeah. And perhaps she needed to be very pathetic to underscore his role, monstrosity. Right? It is, it, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. I think I think you're probably right that she needed to be as portrayed as weak and helpless as possible so that it was very, very clear and evident that when, and this is a spoiler, but we told you in the beginning, mm-hmm. when Bashar murders her in the final minutes of the final episode of the season, there's no question that he has, it's not like two people in equals amount equal mm-hmm. amount of conflict mm-hmm. or it's not mm-hmm. two antagonists. It is a victim and a murderer. So so I think you're probably right about that. So what do we think about where the show can go from here? In the last moments that were so depressing of that, of that season, we see Daron, who was just seconds away from saving her, he fails. And we see Bashar being welcomed into the prison by an adoring public, the adoring public he wanted to have as a boxer. But as a terrorist, he gets that, too. Where does this show go? Can we go through another season of Daron losing the people he cares about? Or at what point do we as the audience go, oh, my God, I can't take it? Mm. Kali, what do you think?
3: Oh, I don't know if I can take it. Yeah, you said in the beginning, it's like, I don't know if I can go through another season, a new season, but a slightly different plot. Where else can Darone go from here? He's basically lost everyone he cares about, and I'm just not quite sure of what happens next. I do think it was really interesting, just the symbolism of beginning the season, like the opening moments with this father in jail, and mm-hmm. then ending with a son in jail. And it's just like yeah. the cyclical nature of this conflict. So it would be another season showcasing that, maybe slightly different location, new terrorist. But uh, I know they're writing a season four. So I think the plan is for it to go forward. I just honestly don't know like what else they can do.
0: Dan, what do you think?
2: This has always been Doron's story. And he is in every season where they call it failing forward. With every success, there's a loss. With every achievement, there's failure. So I, I am curious how they're going to, what direction they're going to take it in because if they're going to keep this about Darone, he's down to two kids, a wife, and <laughs> a very ex-wife. cold world. So no, Yeah, ex-wife and two kids, a social worker who hates him and a mm-hmm. son who's just figuring out whether he likes him or not. I'm, I'm curious to see how they'll do it. I think it would be fascinating to have the lead antagonist be female next time around. Oh, um, that would be great. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how that would change the whole bro thing going on. So that I, I would be really interested to see if they could if they could pull that off.
0: Yeah, we need a Cersei Lannister up in here. <laughs> Ashley, what do you think? I
1: have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I, I think Callie's observation <laughs> of how the show is framed with Bashar's father leaving jail and then with him entering jail, I think it speaks to the, the pattern that I was speaking about at the beginning about how when leaving prison, Jihad was very reluctant to, to go. like He didn't want to be a terrorist again. And then when Bashar is going, he's for the first time, we see him actually wearing a, a head covering and we had never seen that before. So mm. th- the way that it ended in the smirk on his face, I think that we haven't seen the last of him. I just don't know what that looks like mm-hmm. yet.
3: I love how when Daron and Hila were talking, he was sort of confronting her about her revenge plot to get the terrorist. Her lies. After. Yeah. He said, if you got him, another would take his place. Yes. And that just mm-hmm. speaks to this, this story. So it's like another season would be another terrorist because they're always popping up. There will always be this issue. But then it's like Daron keeps getting attached. And then I wonder, yeah. though... Is it human nature to do that? Like, how can he not sort of after everything he's been through? But I feel like the story is always the same, right? Like he's on this mm. mission. He gets attached. Someone gets hurt. So, like, I, I don't know what another season does to advance that plot.
1: I, I mean, I, I think mm. that's just life, honestly. Like, I I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> it is there. I, I hear what you're saying, Kali. I just think that it's just I think that it's just life. And
2: we, I, my day at work was a lot like yesterday. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and we'll be like tomorrow. It, mm, it mm-hmm, is the job. Mm-hmm. It is the job that he signed up for. It's the job that he retired mm. from and stepped away from in, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the first season, but then gets roped back into. I think that he can stop if he, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong thing to say, but I feel like something about this drives him. And he he gets attached mm-hmm. because he's known and experienced so much loss. And I think that whatever connections he makes help to keep him going.
0: Okay, so let's wrap up this episode with our just our random thoughts, <laughs> things you loved, things you hated, things that drove you crazy. What were your takeaways? I can say just a couple from my perspective. I thought I was it really drove home that despite Gaza not being occupied by Israel, the power that can still be exerted over the population of Gaza, like when Gabi turns off the power, just mm-hmm. shuts off the power to Gaza so that the 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 hostage, the young man hostage, has a chance to get away, which of course he doesn't. But we as the audience, are we, are we supposed to be like, yay, you can save him? We're like, oh, that's fucked up. Like there's a little bit of a mm. weird feeling as you're watching this being like, yes, yeah, save that kid. And like, no, 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 don't punish everybody. Mm-hmm. So that was like one of my takeaways. And I also, just to take it to the sort of end of the season, I really liked the introduction of a new member of the team after Abichai's death, a sniper who is Drews, mm-hmm. And they kind of set it up being like, oh my God, is he going to shoot the members of the team or is he on the team? And then he solidifies his place on the team. So I liked that they were introducing a little bit more diversity. Yeah, Ashley, what were what were some of your quick thoughts, takeaways from this? The
1: first thing that I would say was relief because anyone who had a beard had a full beard. There were no gross <laughs> prepubescent Waleed <laughs> nasty beard.
0: Oh, uh, poor Waleed. Yeah. True, true. Yeah. Waleed and or, a sketchy or beard. Or no <laughs> crazy eyes.
1: Abu Fawzi's crib hideaway was like a mix of a high school fashion <laughs> store and like, a sleek evil lair. I was expecting it to be like welcome to my lair, like welcome to my crib. It was it was <laughs> just ridiculous. But something that I actually yelled at the screen about was when they're when the team is hiding in Gaza at the what they're the gopher's little hideaway. Ellie is playing yeah. with a white lighter, which is cursed. Like have you not heard of the curse Ellie? Really? Why a white lighter? What is okay, what curse?
3: No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, so there is a
1: curse of the white lighter. Have and I'm sure Dan has heard of this too, Hello. but have you heard of the Twenty Seven Club?
3: Oh oh like
1: musicians. Yeah, musicians who Die who died at twenty seven. Kirk Cobain, Janice Joplin, yeah, Amy, Jimmy Amy Jimmy Winehouse Hendrix. Someone from oh, the Rolling okay. Stones. So legend has it that some of them were found with a white lighter in their pocket. So white lighters yeah, so oh. white lighters are bad luck.
2: Oh never heard
1: of such oh. a like. interesting. I had no yeah, idea. So when about I saw that. Ellie playing with it, I knew I knew something bad was gonna happen, and of course Abby hi.
0: Although Ellie is a lot older oh, than twenty seven. Unless the conflict yeah. has just aged him dramatically.
1: <laughs> it was, it was just the presence.
3: No way. Like,
1: the presence of the lighter for me was the only yeah. instance of foreshadowing that I've seen mm. in the show. So for me it was a, a poignant observation.
0: Dan, what about you? Quick bullet points.
2: Uh, Three uh, negative things and one positive thing that the show did this season. Uh, The first thing is Hamas takes marksmanship lessons from um, episode four, (laughs) Star Wars. Stormtroopers, they hit nothing. (laughs) They shoot walls. They shoot around everyone. They could have 200 guys trying to shoot two, and they're all just going to end up shooting each other. It's pathetic. (laughs) Um, Second... Mm. Beach hotels need to wash windows a lot more frequently. And I think yes. that if I could get in oh, touch. oh, I saw that. So I'm going to be the Karen here. I'm going to call the manager at the hotel and tell <laughs> this person that you got to clean that storm window because they couldn't even see out of it. And that's why they paid all that money for that view. <laughs> Third, one total absurdity. There was a go-between, a, a mole inside of the Hamas leadership who would visit right. the team when they were holed up in Gaza City. And when he came to mm-hmm. the door... He would literally do a shave and a haircut, secret knock.
0: Shave and a haircut.
2: Ooh, and Okay, so I'm watching this really serious moment. We're like, oh my God, the tension in the scene. And then I it, 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 Like, holy shit, they're using shave and a haircut. This is like Looney Tunes.
3: Okay, finally,
2: something that I, I thought was exceptional, the way that they showed the sophistication of Hamas and Hamas's infrastructure and you know when when you hear about Hamas and rocket launches and you see what the rockets look like it looks really ragtag they showed these 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 communication centers where they had blocking technology and they had all kinds of things and they had sophisticated weapons they were you know well uniformed and they seemed to do their jobs well except for shooting so i was i was surprised and sort of wondering that the realism i assume it was very real of the level of sophistication of what we, you know, kind of dismiss as a ragtag terrorist group. It is certainly not.
0: I would never dismiss Hamas like that. Come on. Mm. We know that they can do a lot. They can do a lot. Kali, what were your little takeaways quick quick thoughts
3: oh so speaking of Hamas like I just find it kind of I, I don't know if humorous is the right word but when we see them sort of like making these like terrorist plans from among like some ancient rock ruins like it's just this very interesting juxtaposition of where they're making these plans just visually and that's happened from season to season like, going back to Yara for a second why did she have no sort of police Or military protection at her home if they knew Bashar was on the loose. Like that to me was. A great question. I think normally she would have been protected. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that there's anything uh, really else I have. I, I just think it was interesting, though, that the characters didn't actually know Arabic. They don't speak Arabic, so they had to learn everything phonetically. So there was no room for any kind of improvisation the way that they could in Hebrew or to tweak a sentence or something. They had to learn it all exactly. As it would be said, and on this webinar I, I attended, they were all saying it's such a beautiful language, and they they all actually said they they wished that when they were younger or that it was part of their education mm. to actually learn how to speak Arabic fluently, and they all said that that was a regret of theirs not having learned that.
0: Wow, that's a great takeaway. Okay, well, well, thanks to Dan, Kali and Ashley for sharing your thoughts on Fauda season three. Listeners, be sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to the Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can also email us at podcast at JewishBoston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests. Thanks, as always, to our editor, Jesse, our composer, Ryan, and Netflix.